This is the Lotus Crusher podcast with me, Dane Ensley. We often don't draw a parallel between the effects of climate change and mental health. I sat down with Bonnie Wright to discuss her experiences within her personal and professional life and how she's managed to cope. Bonnie is an actress well known for her early role in the Harry Potter franchise. She has gone on to act, write, direct, and produce many other projects in her adult life. What interests me most about Bonnie is her deep passion for environmental activism. She is also fully committed to taking care of her mind and body. We both imagine there must be a correlation between how we take care of our heads and how we do or do not take care of our ecosystem. I did some research into the effects of climate change on mental health. I did some research into the effects of climate change on mental health. According to Nick Obradovich, Robin Miglarini, Martin P. Paulus, and Ian Rawan, there is empirical evidence of mental health risks posed by climate change. In their research, the authors state, sound mental health, a critical facet of human well-being, has the potential to be undermined by climate change. Few large-scale studies have empirically examined this hypothesis. Here, we show that short-term exposure to more extreme weather, multi-year warming, and tropical cyclone exposure each associate with worsened mental health. Well-being falters without sound mental health. Scholars have recently indicated that the impacts of climate change are likely to undermine mental health through a variety of direct and indirect mechanisms. The authors also share, well-being falters without sound mental health. Scholars have recently indicated that the impacts of climate change are likely to undermine mental health through a variety of direct and indirect mechanisms. They go on to make their case that climate change creates chaotic weather conditions and this can be a factor in diminishing someone's ability to cope. I was working as a substance abuse counselor in New York City when Hurricane Sandy hit in October of 2012. I remember having to walk over the Manhattan Bridge from Brooklyn into Manhattan to get to work due to extensive subway flooding south of 34th Street. I was lucky. The devastation from this superstorm was immense along the East Coast. I worked in a team that attempted to provide outpatient substance abuse counseling to a portion of the homeless population at that time. More than a few of these people did not return for their counseling. In their research article, Mental Health Effects of Hurricane Sandy, Characteristics, Potential Aftermath and Response, Dr. Yuval Neria, Ph.D., and Dr. James M. Schultz, Ph.D., explore the role of exposure during rare climatic events and argue the mental health effects of any given disaster are related to the intensity of exposure to the event. Sustaining personal injury and experiencing the injury or death of a loved one in the disaster are particularly potent predictors of psychological impairment. Researchers have also indicated that disaster-related displacement, relocation, and loss of property and personal finances are risk factors for mental health problems such as post-traumatic stress disorder and depression. Researchers from Stanford and Berkeley, Marshall Burke, Felipe Gonzalez, Patrick Bayless, and Sam Heft Neal use comprehensive data from multiple decades for both of the United States and Mexico. 
and found suicide rates rise 0.7% in U.S. counties and 2.1% in Mexican municipalities for a 1 degree Celsius increase in monthly average temperature. They project that unmitigated climate change could result in a combined 9 to 40,000 additional suicides across the United States and Mexico by 2050, representing a change in suicide rates comparable to the estimated impact of economic recessions, suicide prevention programs, or gun restriction laws. I remember Bonnie telling me how she was going to waltz up to the Coca-Cola headquarters in Atlanta to hand deliver a petition demanding the company phase out production of single-use plastic. I knew then and there she was the real deal. Whether it's a combined yoga surfing retreat in the Nicoya Peninsula blue zone of Costa Rica or boarding a Greenpeace ship to survey ocean waste, Bonnie is a strong, consistent advocate for the evolution of our mental and ecological well-being. When, um, when you're growing up with your family, who sounds like they're all involved in the arts and really artistic, and I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and we were talking about his ability to process information as a child through his art, mm-hmm. through comedy, through acting. And I, I wonder about that. I wonder how much that influenced your uh, your ability to process feelings and emotions um, through growing up. We all have moments in childhood and when we're teenagers and young adulthood when we struggle with shit, you know, normal shit and then abnormal shit. And I wonder if I wonder if you were aware of that or if now looking back you can you can attach to that idea yeah i think it's like those things can work for and against you Mm. i think what works hopefully more and more for me which maybe didn't like work as well for me when i was younger is that i'm i would say that the way i do things is i observe for a very long time until i decide to have an opinion about it or confront something or someone about it and Mm -hmm. obviously that ability and nature to observe is hugely beneficial it helped me acting it's helped me tell my own stories because i've observed so many or been very curious to observe so many and then i think it helps um the health of your mind because it can make you just slowly slow down and not everything has to be like a reaction and a knee-jerk reaction and i think that helped me i think i was naturally had I think it was like a split between either me dwelling on things for too long when I was younger and not speaking my mind and then when it was almost too late or like so much was bottled up it would be like this explosion of thought and it's like where did that come from Mm. from like a silent person Mm -hmm. or the other extent of that I think as a battle to that sometimes I could be reactive at not the right time you know it would it's either kind of bottle it up and observe and listen and then thoughtfully have an opinion or at times when it was like I didn't know how to process it it would be quite a reactive thing which is something that I think feel like I worked a lot on in like my late teens like early 20s and feel I've tried to take in like the way I work in a more observational way a bit more into as well just how I am Mm -hmm. as a person Mm -hmm. 
and I think this is something that we all learn. I think it's like just because we have an, a, a quick opinion about something or someone sets off a trigger or with us and we just react because we're being like quite self-defensive and i think that comes at an age when you're just trying to work out what you're protecting in mm. yourself in terms of like what you're protecting and celebrating like oh i'm that kind of person and i'm actually going to protect that because i really believe that i believe in this thing or i believe i should be this way because they're attributes that you think is good um and when people start to question that, you begin to sort of like throw it back in your face because you're fiercely trying to figure yourself out. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, I think you realize when people set off, you know, say things that set off, say if you're like fiercely loyal mm -hmm. and someone, you know, questioned you for that. I think when you're younger, you could throw it back in your fa their face because that it hurt you because you that's really important to you. Mm -hmm. And you see it as like an offense that they gave to you. Mm -hmm. And then out of time and experience you realize like uh, like that's just me interpreting what they're saying as them attacking my care for loyalty mm -hmm. and like i think that's what i learned a lot about like mm -hmm. i would be quite good with that in my work be quite slow and observant and not reactive but in like a personal way like wasn't in those years so i would say that's what it's worked for and against me in terms of that kind of artistic mindset. Yeah. It's also, I, I relate to what you said uh, in the way that uh, your assets, the things that you maybe you like about yourself or other people like about you can be defective at the same time. Mm -hmm. I'm relating to it when you said loyalty. Loyalty for me can be, it always has been a massive asset. Yeah. And then at the same time, it can be really defective, like being <laughs> yeah. too loyal or being yeah, loyal to seeing, a point where yeah. like I just I, d I don't take care of myself. Yeah. And also in moments realizing when you're kind of being a doormat for someone. Yeah. Or <laughs> realizing when you're like, I no matter what I say to this person, they are just going to keep doing what I'm telling them and advising them not to do. Yeah. Like we've all been there when someone's like, you know, complaining about a relationship and you're just like, do you really want me to tell you yeah, again? Because yeah, yeah. I've told you so many times. So the only way you get through to them is just like, look, I, I can't, I really can't like expend more energy explaining this to you because until yeah. you realize it, like what's the point? Is there a, is there a uh, place for, um, uh, is there a place for mental health uh, within a film production uh, on the, like the day-to-day. -day. So I work with professionals and help them take care of themselves outside of the workplace. Mm -hmm. And it's those times when you're not working where you're either hyper-focused on something you want to change or you're coming to the place where you are realizing there are things to change. Um, but I wonder... If, because there are these, and you've, it's not just those films, you've made other films, you've acted in other films, you've produced and directed and written other films. And I wonder, in your own experience, if there's a place for some activity or, um, um, or a, 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 a personnel on set that can help people navigate yeah moments or is that or is the stress and the 
frustration or the excitement necessary for the creative process i don't know maybe we won't ever know i mean i think it's also like how addicted to that stress do you become and that sort of adrenaline like i had that recently i was working like back to back on two projects and i went back to london for two weeks like in the midst of that and i was just like full on running on adrenaline for like two months yeah and i kind of knew it and uh, with me, I'm always like scared about when projects are gonna finish and then I'm gonna like the inevitable is gonna happen. Yeah. And that happened to me like two weeks ago, and I had like the worst week ever because I suddenly crashed and I knew that the week of quietness was coming. And from the week, from the months of busyness, like everything will come up that I've been like suppressing. And I think it's difficult. I think as well when you're directing things and producing things because you are people are always turning to you oh what do you want for this and what do you want for that and how should we do this and and you've i learn i'm learning more and more that you don't have to immediately answer people mm-hmm. and that's like saved me a lot because are you okay with not knowing every answer yeah and also i just i hate when people of people aren't honest with you about something that they feel comfortable doing and mm. then you so you think that they can do something and then they can't do it and it lets the project down like if i am honest about like oh you know what i've never worked with that piece of equipment like i need to be honest about that but at first i'd be like i can't i need to look like i know everything and i need to know what i'm doing i'm directing and which is an inevitable like thing in that early age sense but um yeah i think mental health i think i mean not just in this in the industry i'm in but in so many industries is just you know obviously we know that there is such a stigma around it and there's such a sort of not a natural instinctive sort of feeling to ask for help or to ask for guidance or to be supported in any way outside Mm -hmm. of maybe your colleagues you're working with your friends but like someone who is like a removed separate like part um, or even just asking friends. I think we can often sometimes or have been in the past quite convoluted when we're actually asking for help and see that as like a bad thing, but mm. we'll happily go and physically examine ourselves all the time at different doctors. Um, and I think on a set, it's hard. There's so many people on film sets and you're dealing with everyone who's got, you know, they're coming to work with their issues and their jobs and it's it's all so related like if one cog within the machine sort of starts to deteriorate and break down then it's all gonna start you know slowly breaking down so i think an industry like film is even more something that needs to be you know given support to i don't know in what like how that would be and what kind of form of a person that would be Mm. yeah it's funny i was once on this film in thailand and obviously like Thai massage in Thailand. I mean, like, you know, it's pretty inexpensive and everyone can, like, you, you find someone to do it. And at first I felt like, oh, that's really bad that they've, you know, brought this guy on to be literally like the on-set masseuse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, initially I, I don't even know why. I guess I thought, like, that's to me and that's such a reflection of my personality. I was like, that's just really indulgent. Mm-hmm. Like that, not indulgent of the production, but we look like, like, like I don't oh, deserve like it. work is so difficult. Yeah. Like, do I need a massage? But actually <laughs> it was really taxing shoot and yeah. actually having an onset massage was great when yeah. I finally said, like, go have one, you know. And then he would literally sit, you know, you just sat on a chair, you weren't in a scene or whatever, and he'd come over and just give you a quick, like, five minute and you just instantly were just like oh this is great yeah like, why did it but it was funny my 
immediate reaction. But, yeah. It's funny hearing you say or, or talk about how you will go and work for a time and not take care of yourself maybe optimally. Yeah. And then crash. Because oh, yeah, I think sure. we all, we all, do, I mean, we definitely all do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know you as being very like present minded. And like you said, in describing yourself, you know, thoughtful and um, whenever we've had discussions about anything, it, it always feels like you, you're really there and you're uh, respectful and you honor the time and the space. Mm-hmm. So thinking about you going, 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 running on adrenaline and then crashing I guess it's just funny for me to <laughs> yeah. think about you doing that because I don't, I can't really imagine it. What, you can't imagine me ever, what, cra- crashing? or? I yeah. just don't know what like a Bonnie Wright crash and burn <laughs> looks like. <laughs> like, is it's it, like I don't leave my house for five so days? <laughs> yeah, that's why I have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> like a um, I, don't, I think for me, it's like you get into an industry like, film no matter if you're acting you're directing whatever job you're going to be doing unless you're like in a production office and you have a nine-to-five job or obviously there's hundreds of parts of the film industry that are nine-to-five but for me I knew getting into any creative industry and luckily I'm from that background anyway in terms of experiencing that witnessing it with my parents my brother but I always knew no matter what I'm going to have to be okay with quiet time and busy time otherwise this industry is like not I shouldn't be working in it. Mm. So I think for me, the only thing that gets me through that is like you made that deal. Like the minute you decided to get into this world, you made the deal with yourself that you have to be okay in moments where like it's quiet. And like recently it's been okay because I knew that there were other things like coming along, but I've had times in the past where it's just this kind of open expanse of not knowing and that's soul destroying because you then start questioning your ability to do things and then it becomes just like way kind of, it just becomes, I guess a lot of it, you just want some respite from yourself because it can put you into this space and I can naturally be so, you know, introverted and, and, and like, overly think about everything so often it's just like oh my what i love about filmmaking is that it's so demanding you can't be in your own head because a it's crazy hours like if you're shooting the next day and you have all these things to do well you just got to get it done like doesn't you just got to get it done like the show must go on kind of feeling and that i love because i don't even have time to stop to think about myself so it's like great i can just like start stashing away all these (laughs) things that like i'm not taking care of and then it's, I just, I, it's funny though, recently, like I had those few months and then I had a week and it previously in the past when people are like, oh, how's your week? And I'd be like, oh yeah, it was fine. It was good. And like, I had a week that was like, I think I saw you at the end of that week. I think yeah. it was, and I was like, you know, I actually didn't have a good week, but yeah, I knew, I, remember you saying like, that, yeah. I was like, it was, it was terrible. Cause yeah. I just hated not being busy. And then suddenly like this week, I'm like, how did all these simple tasks that, a few months, like a month ago, I would have got done in five minutes because I didn't have any time, so I squeezed it in. It's now taking me like five hours yeah. to do. And you just, you, what's that uh, thing? Ask a busy person, you get it done. Like that is so, and I love being the busy person because I get things done for myself very mm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, but it's fine. I think it ebbs and flows. And then I had like a, and then the following week was great because I got into this new project that I knew was coming up, but I just, 
like needed to sort of readjust. I think also you need to be really good at, um, and I think this has come to the case with people who like travel as well, a lot for work. I think you just need to be, and I think we are naturally as human beings, we are adaptable. Like we are literally of, we are evolving all the time. So we're good at adapting, mm-hmm. but I think you just have to be good at, at you know, always being either, yeah adaptable or able to sort of recalibrate yourself according to the job at hand mm-hmm. or the not job at hand yeah i just learned that yeah. it was like this whole th- this podcast and my agency and then my work and then my life and and telling whatever it is like i'm ready for the next thing mm-hmm. like i'm ready for all these things to take off and be what they're supposed to be and i i think i think i'm ready right and then it was like a response instantly and i didn't know how to handle that yeah and it was like the recalibration i was forced to recalibrate but there was about a week where i lost my shit yeah i just like <laughs> couldn't breathe my head i mean overall, everything yeah. was just there and it came to a point where we went to this party and I I couldn't leave the car because I was like so freaked out and I yeah. had to breathe my way through it and realize okay this is happening it's not slowing down mm-hmm. and your goal is for it to actually be ten times bigger than what it is now so you better get on your shit like you better yeah. figure this out. It's probably also, there's a part of you, which is like a good thing that probably knows that it's going to take off. Mm-hmm. And often we can fight that. Mm-hmm. And I've done that for sure. Like, you know that all this stuff's about to take off and you slam the brakes down, even yeah. though you want it so bad. Yeah. You're like overwhelmed by the reality of it actually coming to fruition. Yeah. Like for me, I realized that most of my, uh, you know, anxious tendencies or anxiety will come out in just fe- the feeling of being overwhelmed. Yeah. Because I feel like there's, aren't there two strands of often anxiety? It's either that being overwhelmed or like stressed or depressed and that kind of, and for me, it's just, and I only realized that recently. And the minute I was like, you're just overwhelmed. Mm. It's like, you, you're like, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, you can do this. You're just like overwhelmed. Yeah. Do you feel like you uh, have gotten better at beating yourself up less? Mm. Or are you still pretty hard on yourself? I think it's difficult. I'm, I sh- I'm sure I am. I'm like, oh, no, I'm really... No, I'm sure I am. I think also, I think if you're striving to always... As a, like an artist in any... I think, you know, you're never going to not... You're never going to... You never retire. So you're yeah. always until hopefully the day... You can physically no longer, mentally no longer, or like do what you love to do, which is for me, tell stories and make films. Then you hope you're never going to like not stop progressing and learning because that would be really boring if you knew everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think often with that curious kind of mind to keep growing comes this like self critical side to it because you're always questioning why you don't know more about that or like why your craft didn't come through as good in this project or you're always going to be analyzing things because art is that analysis of life of feeling of politics of context of you know experience travel like you're by making work as a reaction to life you're analyzing things anyway so Mm. it's like an if you have the capability to 
make work like that, it's probably because you have a quite <laughs> analytical mind. And I think it's like often trying to be like, how is it a positive, I guess. Mm. But you got to, I think you got to, I see it. I, do you know, I'm very good at witnessing it in other people, but I'm not very good at witnessing it. So. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Lotus Crusher is sponsored in part by Qualia, a nootropic supplement produced by California-based Neurohacker Collective. With daily use, I have eliminated my procrastination and my productivity has grown exponentially. With over 40 rare and premium brain-boosting ingredients formulated with optimal dosages, the difference in mental performance, mood, and energy from Qualia is unparalleled. Nourish your mind and increase your cognitive ability today. Use our discount code LOTUS, L-O-T-U-S, at neurohacker.com and get 10% off single month orders or 15% off a subscription service. Where's your head at? Mine is fed by Qualia. You were in an ID article that I saw and you gave tips on how to, what is this? This is, uh, the, the, the title is amazing. Actress <laughs> turned activist, Bonnie Wright's guide to breaking free from packaging. Yeah. So Olive and I, my girlfriend and I, we oftentimes reference Bonnie <laughs> when looking at packaging or considering packaging or like, oh, fuck, we left our bags in the trunk at the <laughs> store and bo bo Bonnie would be really disappointed. Um, there's a lot of really simple tips that you give. I'm wondering if you were to rewrite this article or you were to you were to write an article for Lotus Crusher on your tips from breaking free from what confines you in your head? Like, what do you oh. do to take care of yourself? Like eight <laughs> tips. You don't have to be exactly wow. eight, but what do you do that? Cause these are really simple. I mean, yeah, yeah. you, you kept it really easy. I know you do some other things that are not as simple and you're, you're big on the activism, um, that, you know, environmental activism. And I really look up to you and respect you for that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of, I mean, those things that I've done in terms of writing for articles, often, obviously, the worst thing you want to do is overwhelm anyone mm. and you make it like manageable and bite size. And, and I always like encourage people, like just choose one thing, like with everything, we all have to like pick our battles. Otherwise life is, there's so many issues in this world and there's so many injustices and yeah. things that we do have to like pick our battles and, and I guess why I'm so into, I guess most specifically in, in, under the huge umbrella of sort of, you know, sustainability and environmental issues. I've really like focused a lot of my work and energy on single use plastic and packaging. And because for me, it's something that I really truly believe like choices that we make mm -hmm. and habits we will break will actually have a huge impact on, you know, protecting marine life and really actually protecting ourselves because that's, you know, it's all, you know, we're all in one big cycle and it's all interrelated. Um, so in terms of if I was to do it on breaking free of, wait, how do you say it? Breaking free <laughs> of. Uh, I was trying to use the, the words from the article, but it doesn't have to be that. How do you, if you were to give somebody tips? I think. Like what works for you? What do you actually yeah, do? Yeah, sure. Because there's um, a lot of people out there that will sell these methods. I mean, you have a massive following around your personality and you could say anything. 
you say anything and like 250,000 <laughs> people would say, okay, cool. Like maybe we should try that. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what does Bonnie um, Wright actually do? So I guess in terms of practices that I found that helped me, I've been practicing Vedic meditation, which is the same as TM for three years, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so that's essentially a mantra based meditation. Um, it's like a three day sort of course that you do. That's like pretty easy kind of course. It just sort of like sets the foundations and your teacher gives you the mantra and there's like two to 300 mantras and sort of the one is chosen for you at random and you sort of keep that to yourself and never really share that mantra, but it's essentially like a Sanskrit sound. And the idea with that and the sort of like dream is to meditate twice a day for 20 minutes. I usually always, it's funny, it's like changed since having a puppy. I feel like I'm, um, I always used to get my morning one and like maybe my after, I would say like four days out, seven days, I'd get like twice a day. Um, and mornings were always like my time and my thing and I'd have that space where now it's like suddenly his time and he yeah. wants to play. So I've always been more getting my afternoon ones now than I have my morning ones. But, um, but that for me... And I know, like, even though I'm really, really busy and I'm not getting my two meditations in a day, like, I know that's, if I was to make and carve out any time in that busy day, the best spent 20 minutes, which is nothing, would be on that. And yeah. it's like, and it's hugely been beneficial to me. I've had a lot of my ideas come straight out of meditations. I've, and it's just so reflective of, I think, where you are. And like, I, it's such a good check-in for me. Mm. And it can be so random. Like I can feel super calm and in a great place and I sit down to meditate and it's just like, whoa, like yeah. all this stuff comes up. Yeah. Um, I think it's, in fact, that's actually as a practice has been really good for me in terms of how hard I can be on myself. Meditating, you can be so hard on yourself whilst you're meditating. Yeah. And it's, so that is like my number one sort of, practice that has i found personally like just changed everything and just changed just in that sense of mindfulness of being just a little bit kind of just waiting a second before that reaction comes or just thinking in, in a more expansive way and and just realizing the complexities of like our bodies and how much we probably don't tap into yeah um other things uh i stay quite active i guess i mean yeah. those things kind of help i mean right. I, yeah I, I mean i mean there's loads of things that and they can be they can change i think that's what's a big thing is like allow things to change don't get too like i have to get this in you know i have to do this workout and i have to yeah. do that's for me like i if i that's know the beating that, yourself up part yeah. yeah or like oh you know i'm in a phase where i'm not really into that kind of thing and you go you'd be interested in something else or like right. i can be hard on my like I love surfing and surfing is such a thing that I would wish I could do every single day. But sometimes the idea of getting the whole board in my car and doing all these things, I build up into this like elaborate thing. Even though I know the minute I hit the water, I'm just going to be like, oh, I'm so pleased oh, I'm yeah, here. But I like, yeah, I but I can surf. get in the way, you know, or I can beat myself up that I haven't been that much. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a funny thing. Does surfing uh, translate uh, this is going to sound kind of corny and sort of stereotyped, but is is surfing a type of meditation for you? Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think... That's what everybody says, but I think it's really true. Oh, yeah. Also, you know, unlike a lot of sports, 
you're not as specifically relying on nature. Like you could really want to surf today, but there's no surf. Right. So it's like, what do you, yeah. you, don't, you can't hate the ocean. Like, oh gosh, why don't you provide me some waves? Yeah. Although if you do, then, you, or, or maybe you do it first. Like some people are like, why can't we go? I really wanted to go. Like, well, we can't go. Like, I'm sorry, but like, it's not. Not happening but, like, today. That's part of it, you know? Yeah. And even just a observation thing that I love to do, like you learn most, or I have learned everything from observing other people surf and and just observing how the water moves mm. is like everything. How a wave builds, how it curls, how it, you know, breaks, how it, all those things, how the tide is moving, how a rip current could be moving. There's a point break, a beach break. There's all these intricacies that just like fascinate me. And it's, and it's time and observation that allows you to create a feeling for the water. Like, oh, I feel like this wave coming, like it feels like one I should take. Yeah. And it's been really interesting to like... That selection. To trust, yeah, selection, yeah, yeah. trust your instincts. And sometimes even if like a great wave goes by, you just watch it because it's like great wave and you're like, cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think it happens a bit less in LA because there's so many and everyone's like wants to get on the wave. Yeah. And it's quite, it can be quite aggressive, but you go to more remote places and you know like there's going to be another perfect wave coming along. Yeah. So you're just like, oh, let's watch this one. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a good slowing. I think for me coming from London where I couldn't just leave my house and go to the beach and surf, that's yeah. not part of my daily thing. Being him, being able to do that while still living a life that's connected to my work, my industry, a social life, a, you know, a cosmopolitan life, yet still managing to do that is something that I'm super like lucky and excited to have. I honestly have been, I've never, out of, out of different sort of causes and organizations I've worked with over my lifespan, I have never had as much you know enthusiasm and interest and action taken as i have with all of the work that i've been doing you know with the environmental stuff with greenpeace with single-use plastics and i think it's because people really realize oh this is something i can do hmm. i don't have to it's not aid i don't you know if it's not like i'm asking it's not organizations that need donations for aid which right. is obviously a huge part of what people need and I know that the audience that I'm speaking to are going to be people who are young and, and ready to take make good choices and they want to make good choices and they have time maybe to carve out to learn more about them but yeah. at that stage in their life they're not ready to start putting aside part of their salary to start donating to right. aid and things so right. to me uh, I time is often more valuable than money and I think and if you're able to carve out that time or show to people you can make these quick choices and breaking of habits that don't at first may seem really long-winded but once you ingrain them into your day-to-day -day, like oh i gotta go back to the you know car i forgot my reusable utensils and i just sat down at this lunch place and they've you know got plastic knives and forks like it's not that difficult to run back to your car Impending and go get it, but it's of just shame quick. that comes with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm just shamed quick. all the time. <laughs> I'm like, you're gonna use that? Yeah, yeah. Are you, do you really want that? Yeah. Oh, and people be like, oh, don't you want it? And I'm like, no. And it, I'm I'm that person that sometimes I'll just be like, oh no. If it, it depends how well I know the person, you know, be like, oh no, I'm okay. I don't want that. And then other people that I know well and like will kind of maybe be ironic about it, or I am trying to use it as a moment to like 
silently or maybe heavy-handedly educate someone yeah. and i'm like no i don't want that i don't have my reusable cups so i'm not gonna get it or like oh no i don't want that sample it comes in like a little thing of plastic like i, I don't need to sample it i'm just gonna guess that i like it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love that i'll probably like that <laughs> which is funny because it's not like i'm so indecisive yeah. so if something comes along because and it's wrapped in a single-use material that i don't agree with well then decisions made yeah. and i'm like well i guess i'm not having it i wonder if there's a if there's a direct correlation that you see um in your own mental health since becoming more involved in your activism yeah i think i think with a lot of things what's that uh saying it's charity starts at home mm. and i think you know we've always thought about, you know, to be global, you've got to think local and all those things uh -huh. that, you know, start at home. And I think if we're trying to sort of clean up and protect our world and our planet, we're going to need to do a lot of like cleaning out of our own house, <laughs> you know, in terms of our houses, ourselves, our yeah. body, not necessarily our house house, but like start with ourselves, then maybe our house then our street, then our community, then our city, then right. our, you know, continent, then, our, you know, all those things and or often you can catch yourself going too big and being like wait a minute i'm being a bit hypocritical here because i don't make those choices sure and, and i think a lot of people when they have got into very fiercely sort of environmental you know if you if you're going to live a zero waste lifestyle which i don't live but you can very much live i would love to but a lot of the stories i hear from people who do do that is that they were maybe studying environmental science or they were you know sitting on the you know board of a big big you know non-profit um organization and they thought oh unless i'm really living and breathing this myself how can i like be uh, live and breathe it for everyone else and i think i think there's give and takes with those things i think if you're able to then that's like so admirable but at the same sense if if you're able to take on 70% of that lifestyle and be truthful and honest about why you feel challenged to take on the other 30 that's like a more yeah. you know humanistic like way of showing um you know how you're attempting to be you know part of the solution I think what I've also so there's not there's that there's like cleaning yourself out you know whether or not that's just taking care of yourself in the way you'd want to take care of a garden mm. um i think it i think also what i've learned from taking more care and being a bit more aware of what i throw in the trash uh, can has uh -huh. made me realize how it is just an extended like mindful sort of practice because i'm taking full responsibility of what i'm doing like mm -hmm. I could, you know, quick, I could take the free sample of right. ice cream on a plastic spoon and just chuck it in the bin and not think like, I don't even know where they're putting that. Are they recycling it? Is it even made of recyclable plastic? Is recycling even recycled? <laughs> like, you know, you think <laughs> of all the, you've got to start thinking about the full, I think, what, which is what it's taught me. I've got to, you've got to think about the full life of a product when mm. you interact with it because you're choosing to consume it. And we're in a consumer society where let's like, say consumption is just like, especially in this country, celebrated massively. Like, let's consume, let's keep buying things. Like, 
and no one is ever thinking like about the afterlife of anything yeah and i think we i think that's changing and it's shifting and i hope it changes but we've been living in a, such a linear way and i think that's the same linear way of like how we take care of ourselves like i'll do this not going to think about the consequences just going to keep going because i want to get to the next level i want to get the next job promotion i want i want that house i want me, that me, girlfriend me, that me, boyfriend me, yeah. yeah and it's like but we just it's that survival and that sort of like fight or flight like you know next thing next thing next thing and then you crash which i do <laughs> but uh, with the, what's taught me so much about being a little bit more mindful about what i consume is i think about things in a more you know circular kind of way and i think the only way that like great change is going to happen for the environment and politically for so many different things and for the health of so many different people is if we start thinking a bit more like in that circular-minded way, in that more secular society, rather than this like linear thing, mm. and realizing that everything that goes around does like come around, in the same way that you think something about yourself, and like people are probably going to believe that of you, right? Your and it's thoughts. like a self-worth thing, you yeah, know? yeah. Thoughts and intentions, and yeah, how they impact you and how they impact your systems. Yeah, yeah. But there's um, the parallel. Yeah, and I think it's just, to me, it's become more and more connected. And it's been amazing how, you know, for me, I started with the sort of single-use plastic packaging as, to me, that was the most just everywhere. And I just, and A, I see it now everywhere. Like, mm -hmm. I'm walking down, the, I mean, it's just a bad thing, too. I'm walking down the street and it's like obsessing yeah. like obsessing <laughs> over little cups <laughs> and shit. Or I have, like, yeah. dreams and nightmares and it's just, yeah, that's, like, the bad side of it, but it's opened me up to be to just more mindfully think about like all things i consume in ways not mm -hmm. just plastic which has become my kind of main thing but you realize all these other materials or like did do i need that mm -hmm. like i it's just consum it's just consumption habits yeah like do i need to like I, do i have something similar to that or like do i need it right now can i just wait when i get home and i can you know drink the make some coffee when i get home or yeah. you know all those things and it's like realizing and that's just like a slowing down is that enough or are we fucked um i think no i think i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't live day to day if i didn't think there was hope right with it because otherwise i mean males just going you know just, that's another yeah. good mental health parallel right if exactly you just live without this yeah. sense of hope I think it's, uh, I think You're it's... You're liable to off yourself. Yeah. yeah. And I think, again, that goes back to like choosing your battles slightly. Like, okay, I really, ca okay, maybe you think a lot about water and you think about how much in this state there's not much. Yeah. So, you know, am I going to make sure I turn the tap off while I'm brushing my teeth and then turn it back on when I'm, you know, it, what is your thing? I've been doing that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what is your thing that feels like real and true to you not just something you're adopting off someone else because you think you should be doing it right and i think that's like the same as you know mental patterns like oh like am i adopting this like super sociable character because i think like that's how i'm going to make friends and how i should be in this world but realize like actually i'm adopting something that's not actually that good for me or doesn't fit true to me yeah yeah a special thanks goes out to Newport Academy, a series of evidence-based healing centers for adolescents and families struggling with mental health issues.
They published an article in their mailer about a month ago outlining the various studies cited in this episode. 